Welcome. Now, my name is D. Ludlow. Now, before we get into this episode, go to the description, click the link and get your M&A Mastery Toolkit. This is a free download, which gives you some of the tools and resources that you need to start your M&A journey. Don't forget, go to the description, click the link. It's a free download and enjoy the episode. That, that sort of competitive edge that, you know, you, you have, again, from business, sport and everything else, um, sort of meeting new people and learning new things, I suppose it keeps you teachable as well. Where I, Do you feel that if you're not just the UK, but wherever you're from, do you feel that just um, it's quite a, you know, a talking point that everyone talks about, you know, level up and meet new people and stuff. But do you feel that your mind just naturally opens up if you travel um, rather than just being sat in the same place? Or do you think it comes down to discipline? I've, I've never had limiting beliefs. I've just never had them. Yeah. I didn't even understand what they were yeah. <laughs> until someone's, I, I heard it on the podcast, it's like, what do you mean people think like that? Yeah. What do you mean that you feel like you can't do it or you won't do it? I just didn't have them. Um, and I think it's probably that, like I'm, if I wanna go travel, I'll get up and travel. Yeah. And a lot of people have asked me, how do I start an online business? Or, you know, what do I have to do? And I'm like, I started with Google and Google it and learn different ideas and what excites you because you're going to do what excites you and what motivates you. So finding something that you're genuinely interested in, you're going to put the hard work in to open those opportunities. Now, I'm very lucky. I'm, I haven't got commitments in the UK, so I could have easily gone up and gone. I could have also easily said, you know, I've, I've got a really nice car here and yeah. I've got a really nice house here. But I just thought, wh why do I need to have these particular assets? or maybe not an asset with a car, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. to be able to go away. Yeah. So I just did it, I just sold everything and I just went. And some people, they think so much about the potential things that could go wrong, the consequences. And when you're young, and I'd still like to think of myself relatively yeah, yeah, young, yeah. you can make mistakes because yeah. the worst thing that's gonna happen is you go away, it doesn't work out and you come back and you re-go. Yeah, and like you said, the the, the, what they say about the consequences but I also think also what's the consequence of you not doing it mm -hmm. you know because everybody says I don't want to look back and regret things but if you don't try anything or take any risk then you're 100% going to look back and <laughs> wish you did something right um, so you've obviously met a lot of people traveling um, and you've been to various different countries so if I was to say to you um, another fun question if you could pick anyone in the world to learn from and you know go for dinner with them for an hour, who would it be and what would be the first question you'd ask? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Um, I've never really had any role models growing up, um, but I really do like Molly Bloom. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, she was known as the Poker Princess, yeah. New York um, yeah. headline. Very similar to uh, Wolf of Wall Street, John Belfort, but kind of the female version. And what I really admired about her and how I can relate to her is she was an athlete who got injured very similar to myself. And she ended up um, creating the world's largest um, undercover poker game in a sense. And it was a really, really incredible story about how she lost everything and she bounced back and she kept being quite resilient. And I'm sure I'll meet her because I've had friends who have spoken on stage, but that would be a great conversation to have. That's an awesome movie, right? What's the actual Molly's Game? Molly's Game. Watched it way too many times. So yeah, what, what, what sort of things would you ask her though? You know, if, if you was, um, if you did get a chance to sit sit with her you know would you talk to her about the adversity because she went through some a pretty bad injury and she had it, i don't know how i know the film's a true story but you know they they amplify the, the stuff in the film and her dad seemed to be really hard on her 
and he she sort of just did what what she wanted to do and it was a pretty cool story so what sort of things would you ask it i love learning about risk because unless you fail you haven't taken a big enough risk it means you played it safe and i love to fail because it means i've tried something and i've put myself out there um, so I'd ask her actually about how she has that risk mindset. Mm. I mean, what she did, you could say was pretty risky. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's about being able to create and, and bounce back from that, but also how you feel about the mindset around risk. So probably a really interesting conversation cool. there. Yeah, definitely. Um, hope, hopefully you get to do it one day. I'm sure I will. Yeah. I'm sure I will. Um, and back to the PR a sec. Um, so these days with the right connections, um, people can guess some sort of PR, even if it's like low level, they can get it, right? Um, have you ever experienced a time where somebody's contacted you, even if it's through a f referral, where it doesn't sit with you ethically, so you just choose not to work with somebody? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really fussy about who I want to and I don't want yeah. to work with. Um, one, because sometimes people say, oh, well, you know, I'm a I'm a new online coach yeah. or, you know, I'm a, a marketing expert is particularly niche. And I'm like, you literally started six months ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, start building up yeah. that credibility first. I'm sure maybe some of your listeners can resonate. I do not like um, business coaches specifically who've never run a business. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. Just like I don't like Instagram coaches who have never actually done Instagram before and they've got a thousand followers. It doesn't make sense. Um, and I'm very passionate about being good at something before you put yourself out there. And it's the same as PR, because if you're in PR, it means you're a thought leader, which yeah. also means that you have to have done something that is industry changing or creating thought provoke or created incredible results. Um, so that's the first thing I look at. And the second thing is I want people who are gonna implement because PR isn't pay an agency, I've got a placement, great, I've done it. PR is about creating a long-term legacy and being able to leverage that within your business. So I enjoy business owners specifically who are thinking, okay, great, if I do this, then I can implement this, this, and this, and then looking at that bigger picture. So what sort of due diligence do you do, or is it just sort of, you see some red flags and you're just like, that's not for me? Um, if we're not too sure, we'll do a background check on someone. Oh, really? Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't, I... Um, <laughs> And we'll check him out that way. Um, but you can also tell from the energy of somebody or why they're trying to push it as well. So we do do quite a bit of research on somebody, um, especially if they're coming on as, as a retainer client or we're using our confidence and our reputation to get them something of significance. And what do you feel entrepreneurs specifically could do to stay relevant outside of PR? Or do you feel that PR is a need in staying relevant, especially online? Um, there's so many things you can do, right? PR is just one aspect of what an entrepreneur should be doing. You've got to be doing something differently. No one likes the saying, and I like the saying um, vanilla with a touch of um, you know, chocolate sauce because no one likes something too different, but you need to be slightly different for people to actually appreciate what you're doing. And if you just follow what everyone else is doing and you're regurgitating information or you're creating someone else's funnel, it's nothing new to what everyone else has seen. So in order to be the thought leader, you have to be taking those risks and trying out different marketing methods, different sales methods, and figuring out how can I genuinely help this person? But then to do that, you've also got to say, how can that person know about me and trust me so they want to work with me too? And also, that what sort of like liability do you carry, you know, putting someone in place with PRs? And let's say a blockchain starter was looking for some sort of funding, you've created the article for them. 
they get the funding, something goes wrong. Does anything ever come? Do you have any backlash on that side of stuff? Or you're like, you're just doing your service and then whatever happens after happens? Because, you know, it could happen on any publication, right? So, yeah, wh where do you sit with that and how does that work? Um, every industry has different financial, uh, different, different uh, rules regulations, in place, regulations. So, yeah, yeah. so specifically with finance and investment, you actually have to get a lawyer involved and they have to um, make sure that everything's done. You can't. Uh, suggest anything that's worth investing for so you might put it around the person rather than the company there's a lot of um, regulations when it comes to PR specifically with the bigger ones as well so it goes through our approval sometimes it'll go through to a lawyer as well generally we'll get them to hire out the lawyer not us um, and then also the publications themselves are very strict as soon as you see a red flag you've got to be so proactive about it because you can't just let it ride I can imagine um, so you spend a lot of time in the states as well mm -hmm. Um, in your opinion, who who's easier to work with, right? British people or Americans? Americans. Yeah. I'm not going to even hesitate yeah. on that one. There's so much more of an open culture. They're more excited to do things. Um, I think, in, especially in the UK, people don't see the value in personal mm -hmm. branding, in PR, in marketing, in putting themselves out there. And I'm hoping this is going to change. Yeah. But in the States, they're all like, oh, let's go. I'm going to do this, this, this. I'm going to get my face on Times Square. I'm going to get a TED Talk. Yeah. I'm going to speak at this incredible place. And in the UK, it's like, I want to show everybody how I'm doing it rather than just doing it. And I also find in the UK, and feel free to disagree with me, but we love the runner-up. And we're always going for the person who's slightly behind it. But once they've become successful, they become very jealous and they don't like the lifestyle. Whereas in the US, it's a lot more, you know, congratulations. I'm going to support you because you've made it. And in the UK, is a lot of jealousy. Maybe that's my personal opinion, but I do feel like the UK is starting to shift towards that more positive attitude rather than being so negative so that's a good point right because I, I agree with you um <laughs> do you feel that in the uk we do celebrate victimhood too much mm, i feel that there could be more positivity and optimism more like a lot of a lot of people in the uk feel bad for themselves and maybe because of the education system because we've been told it's not our fault or we've been told that that's just the way it is, or that's the way it should be, and it's not fair. I've come from a very, very um, economical background, should we say, and I've been able to create the opportunities myself from working hard, from putting my out myself out there. And of course, everyone starts off at different stages within their life, but everyone still has that ability to challenge their self and to push themselves out there. And if we go back maybe a few months, a whole Molly May, there's only 24 hours in a day. If a guy said it, which had previously happened multiple times on Stephen's podcast, it was fine. As soon as Molly said it, it was a massive disaster. And no matter what your opinions on Molly May, the concept of creating and generating your own life is completely there. And I do feel like you can be completely internal and create your own reality, or you can be external and look to blame someone else. Yeah, that is a good point, because I, I agree. I do feel that it happens a lot in the media where certain people can say some things and others can't. And it's, it's a shame, but I suppose, are they policing it more, maybe? Um, they either come down too hard on it, or it's like, I just don't know. But um, where, where does your personal self-belief come from? Because... 
your self-belief as in what you're doing, traveling, you literally are like, yeah, you're just a powerhouse. You get, you, you, <laughs> seriously, you, you get to you travel, you, you, you know, connect with people, you're very driven. Where, where has that come from? I don't know. I don't know where it's come from. Um, I didn't grow up with role models. I have incredible parents mm. and my parents were very, um, you know, forward thinking and they used to create and give me as many opportunities as they can. I think it came from me internally because there was no one else to turn to in the sense that I had my family and they were so supportive, but I wanted to create a reality. I also could say that I've been listening to Tony Robbins and Brendan Machard since I was 14 years old. Oh, really? Okay. So maybe it was implementing some of their lessons that from such a young age that I don't remember anything differently. Yeah. And then also because I've had such significant success in everything that I've done, it's just been a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah. And I don't see things as failures. I think see things as learning. So probably a mindset shift over time. Maybe I can give my regards to Tony from 14. Yeah. Um, but also the mindset of I was a 14 year old girl listening to Tony Robbins before I was going to bed. And I was like, where are the females? Where are the females that can do something of significance? And a lot of that was learning and motivated me to just create something for myself. That's awesome, that, you, that especially at 14. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. So with, would you say people that motivate you now, I assume you've got your own motivation, right? You create your own motivation. But with Tony or Brendan was the sort of key people that motivated you back then. Do you have somebody now that you you listen to or look up to where you, you gain that motivation from? Because entrepreneurship as a whole, especially if you're traveling as well, overall is a lonely game. But when you travel, sometimes even more so, if something goes wrong and you are away from family and friends as well, it can be even more lonely. So yeah, where do you get the motivation from now? I don't know where I get it from now. I feel like um, so one really significant part of my life was when I was 21 years old, I lost my eyesight and I lost it for two months. It was one of the most painful things I've ever gone through. And you know, when someone says, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, I'm so glad that I went through that because it changed me. No, yeah. <laughs> not happy yeah, not yeah. go through that again. <laughs> yeah. But what it did do is it showed me how powerful my mind was. And going back now, you know, I'm earning, I think what is, you know, a great income. Yeah. But my friends are earning 5X, 10X, 20X of what I'm currently earning. And I'm like, I want to be earning that. I haven't got much money right now. Yeah. And it's actually just that change, change in perception of, okay, I'm at a certain level. What else can I do? And I don't chase it for the money. I don't care about money. I care about doing something and creating something. And I think that's the difference between millionaires and billionaires actually if you study and i have studied a lot of billionaires they're chasing the journey they're happy to take the risks they're gonna put themselves out there um whereas a lot of millionaires are thinking about okay, where am i gonna you know put my money how am i gonna have my assets what am i gonna do there and it's that mindset shift of i don't care what happens because even if i lost everything tomorrow i'd rebuild and i've rebuilt and i've rebuilt and i've been able to do that before I've got that ongoing mindset as well. Yeah, I think that's important as well. Like you said, I feel that when people first experience money, they they look for all the ways to protect it. Like they never want to lose it. This is it. I've, I've managed to get it. So they go into protection mode. Whereas I think that when people get past that initial stage and then they experience money for longer periods of time, it starts. they start to understand the game then. And it's like, this is a game. It comes and goes, and I think that's the difference in that level. I agree. Um, and just to, just to finish off, um, I mentioned about entrepreneurship being lonely at times, and being 
being someone like yourself that's traveled a lot, um, you experienced some dark, dark times in COVID with um, losing your business, etc. Moving away and then building a business. Now, building a business is always hard. I don't care what anybody says. You start with... That's why you buy them. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you know, you start with no customers, no brand. Uh, yeah. You did have a personal brand. People did know you and you'd done a good job of that beforehand. But no customers, no brand, no infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Everything needs to be built from scratch. And because you did that from an aspect of traveling around as well, you know, did you have some lonely times where things you thought, this isn't clicking or, you know... I assume your mindset's good, but did you have some times that did feel lonely when you was abroad? Of course. I felt like, looking back, my, you know, I, I haven't got the same friends as I had a few years ago. And I haven't got the same friends as I had a year ago. Yeah. Because when you continuously to level up, you can't relate to people. And it's quite tricky not being able to relate to people. And I've come to peace that there's only going to be a few people that I enjoy talking to. But if I don't enjoy talking to you, I'll keep the conversation civil and, and short, but I won't... Um, pursue it if that makes sense. I'm very fussy. If you know, you know, you've probably heard you're most like the five people that you're around. But if you take that to the next level, you're actually most likely the five people and they're most like the five people around them. So you're actually looking at five uh, cubed. So now I'm also thinking, okay, who am I surrounding myself with and who are they friends with? And being so critical because, and I'm quoting Elena Cardone here because she's great, but you're either building empire and destroying it. And it's about not only your personal life, but who's impacting you because your energy and your time is so important. I want to continuously level up. And that's been a really hard lesson to let go of friends and to say this person is, I'm not leaving feeling energized or I don't feel like I'm on my own because, you know, and it's, you start to be really critical about who you're spending time with. And maybe I go too far. Some people would say, I don't think I've gone far enough. Um, but it is about thinking who's going to help me on my journey and who supports me. But when you find them, it's golden. And going back to traveling, it's really hard sometimes because you're going away from people. You can't relate to them as much as maybe you used to. Yeah. So being so disciplined in your sort of the growth and the people that you're around, um, which I, I, def- I agree with so much of that, you know, I, I leave literally my phone on do not disturb because you can choose who can actually call your phone. And so you get to pick. And you, I do believe people can manage their time um, how they want and they get to dictate a lot of it um, and control a lot of it. What do you do personally for time management? Um, well, here's a few tips and tricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three tips and tricks. <laughs> um, time management. The first is, um, I know, obviously, you've got the 5 a.m. club. A lot of yeah. people like getting up early. I love having that morning time. I genuinely do. Yeah. Um, I started up yoga as well, yeah. um, which I never thought I'd do. But yeah. I found that gave me some time back. But the probably biggest game changer um, was firstly my power hours. So I have two hours in the morning. No one can disturb me. Phone off, focused on what I need to get done. Um, but the biggest change in time management was actually my team. And I learned this. I was listening to a clubhouse room back in lockdown and Elon Musk's best friend was talking about how Elon was able to manage his companies. And rather than everyone having particular roles and multiple projects going on at the same time, the entire team used to work on one particular project in a day. They start the project. By the end of the day, everything's done. And they move on to the second day. And the entire team now, apart from ongoing tasks, works as project-based. So, so start a project we'll have a copywriter doing certain section a funnel builder we'll have the social media person a graphic designer everything happening simultaneously so by the end of the day everyone's accomplished something together and not only does that give the team accountability 
but it also gives you accountability to get things done. That's awesome. And I, I've got two more questions now. <laughs> um, so first and foremost, how do you find um, managing a team personally um, when your team are in different countries for time zones? Um, so fortunately, I had some kind of management experience with a tennis company there were 43 staff um so i'd gotten used to being relatively young at the time and a lot of my team members were slightly older yeah um time zones we've gotten used to it in a sense that's also why i like the project side of yeah, things yeah 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 because <laughs> we're able to work together and <laughs> um, sometimes it's challenging but you know what you've just got to figure out what works for you we have minimum um so we have a meeting every single day at a set time and we have a wrap-up meeting and some people go to sleep and some people stay yeah. awake um but having that consistent communication is super super key because otherwise people don't feel like they're working on a business or they're not working on a brand so i think a lot of it also comes down to leadership because when you're working from home and let's say one of our article writers um he doesn't feel like he's part of something if there's no communication he feels like he can kind of just get along but what's the drive whereas if you have a really strong leadership mindset in terms of believing the people before you believe in the clients then you're create, able to cater well and your clients get better results anyway yeah definitely um and my last one i promise uh is uh clubhouse right mm -hmm. so you was a huge you had a huge presence on clubhouse um Back i remember seeing, i remember <laughs> seeing you in dubai and you was on it a lot yeah. like you know um so it kind of died out. Do you feel that there's still room in the marketplace for something similar to Clubhouse? Or do you feel the other platforms have been like, look, we're not having our market share. We're just going to do something similar here. How, how do you think? Because I know someone offered to buy them a long time ago mm -hmm. and they said no, etc. So, yeah, what's your thoughts? Do you feel there's still some... Well, they're probably quite upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. <laughs> One of the biggest reasons why Clubhouse took off um, was because of the timing of the market. A lot of people, especially the UK and the US, were at home and they were isolating and they had some kind of social interaction. And as much as you love your partner, sometimes it might be nice, I'm sure, for you know husbands and wives to jump on Clubhouse. And because of the timing of the market and the exponential growth and the fact they were first with really clever marketing of um, scarcity, they were able to grow rapidly. What happened there was a lack of investment and therefore other bigger companies, um, Twitter Spaces came in, Facebook, I think Facebook created yeah, some kind of or rooms or something. Yeah. And they haven't taken off as supposedly as Clubhouse did. Yeah. So I think Clubhouse's actual business concept came down a lot because the other big competitors came and there's no way you can compete with them, no matter how loyal Clubhouses are. Yeah. Um, but is it going to take off potentially in time? It's a little bit more interactive. Mm -hmm. um, in the NFT specific community, yeah. Twitter's massively taken off. So yeah, yeah I think it depends and, and it's niche down really. Awesome. Well, look, it was really appreciate your time coming down. It's been awesome to catch up. Yeah, you too. And yeah, we'll have to catch up and do a part two at some point. Okay, perfect. Oh, cheers.